So hi, this is Mike Edelhart, and uh, we're here with another edition of Inception, our podcast that looks at the beginnings of things, the beginnings of companies, the beginnings of new science, of careers, and sometimes even a little bit of a look into uh, uh, the near future. And this week, I'm here with uh, Tyler Schultz, uh, uh, whose company we've been invested in for, I guess, about a year uh, Maybe yeah, a little bit less. less than a year, yeah. And is doing really interesting uh, stuff. Uh, uh, Tyler's uh, uh, company is one of the early investments from Giants, our new fund, which focuses on the emerging science of health and happiness. And, and why don't we start off by uh, explaining a little bit about what the company does and uh, uh, the science and, and all of that. Yeah, sure. So the company is based on using what are called giant magnetoresistive biosensors or GMR sensors to measure biomarkers in blood, urine or saliva um, to ultimately give users, um, you know, an insight into the biochemistries that is that are happening inside their bodies and they can understand what is impacting those biochemistries. So uh, we should note, I suppose, that the company's called Flux, yeah, Flux Biosciences, right. <laughs> Flux as in back and forth. And 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 maybe we should step that down a little bit. Yeah, definitely. That was a mouth, definitely a mouthful. Um, so uh, <laughs> the kind of magnetic measurements you're doing are basically the same side of back and forth that you might use for uh, a hard drive yeah, or something like hard that, drives, really, yeah. right? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's nice that you mentioned that because um, actually my professor at Stanford, um, who, who's been researching this for about 15 years now, was originally developing the next generation of computer hard drives. And then one aspect of this lab kind of took a little turn and they repurposed magnetic hard drive technology to do these biological measurements. So you mentioned biomarkers. So you've got this uh, uh, magnetic uh, technology, this magnetic science is looking at sort of the magnetic state of things, high, low, up, down, whatever, which on a hard drive is the equivalent of, is it a one, is it a zero? Right. And and uh, and inside your body are all kinds of things. So explain what biomarkers are, and then if you would explain how the one zero magnetic <laughs> stuff has anything to do with those. Yeah, sure. So um, a biomarker can really be um, any anything that is like an analyte of interest. So you could have biomarkers for cancers. You could have a biomarker for happiness. You know, like vitamin D, for instance, some would consider a biomarker for happiness. Cortisol, a, bi a biomarker for stress. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on. <laughs> and in fact, one of the ones you're looking at is a biomarker for whether you're stoned or not, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's actually how we started. Yeah, so that's part of the inception story is uh, measuring THC and saliva to see if you're currently intoxicated with marijuana. And that was because, or maybe still is because, uh, even though marijuana is legal in some places uh, and you can use it, there is no way a cop stopping you can tell whether you're impaired from driving or not. There are tests if you're drunk, but if you're high. Right. So, yeah. So they have these uh, field sobriety tests that were designed to identify people who are drunk. So, you know, you, you walk a line, you touch your nose, they look at eye nystagmus. Um, but those were really developed to see if people are drunk and being high on marijuana gives you a completely different type of intoxication. It's more of a psychological intoxication. So you may be able to walk a straight line. You may be able to touch your nose, but there's the classic, you know, stopping at a, at a stop sign. 
Right. <laughs> waiting, sh- waiting for the stop sign to turn green. <laughs> or the short things like that. Ooh, those lights. Yeah. <laughs> really fully cracking. Wait, maybe I should be slowing down because those are red. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so that was actually the first application we looked at because one of the great advantages of using this magnetic sensing is that we're not bound to a central laboratory. And most of these lab tests are done by using enzymes, but enzymes are sensitive to light temperature and pH. They have a very specific protein structure. And if that gets denatured, then it doesn't work. We essentially replace that enzyme with an, a, with a magnetic nanoparticle, which is just an iron oxide particle. So it's not sensitive to light temperature pH the same way that an enzyme would be. So when we were looking for applications of, oh, where would um, like a test outside of a laboratory be really useful? The first thing we thought of was um, measuring drugs in roadside settings. And so have you ever actually taken that uh, to market or have you moved on to other uh, things since? Yeah, we, we ended up moving on from that idea. It's still on the table, but the more I researched it, the the less I liked it as a business idea because... Um, well, there are a lot of reasons, but one is in most states, it's it's actually illegal to even collect saliva for any kind of toxicological report. So the law allows for breath, blood, and urine, but not saliva. Um, so you need to wait for laws to pass. Um, and then there are big companies like Dreger and Allure who already have um, some devices that can do this. So I was thinking, you know, if the law passes today and we're not ready, then those big guys get in and we're not probably not going to be able to break in. On the flip side, if the law doesn't change for 10 years, <laughs> you know, Drager and Allure can afford to sit on their hands for 10 years and wait for the opportune moment. But as a startup, we can't do that. So um, we had to look for, for other markets and we wanted to look for a market where one, we wouldn't need, you know, laws to change. I wanted to find a market where users would be willing to pay for the test themselves um, ideally, we wouldn't need insurance reimbursement, and even more ideally, we wouldn't need to do FDA regulation. And that kind of led me to measuring testosterone for um, what what is called general wellness purposes. So testosterone is correlated to you know all kinds of things in your lifestyle, like exercise, diet, sexual activity. Um, you know, all these things that are already being collected by your Apple Watch, but your Apple Watch only goes as far as to record those events. It doesn't tell you what the biological or chemical response is in your body. Um, so if you think of something like, you know, trying to improve sperm count or trying to lose weight, these are goals that can take months to achieve um, or even longer. You know, if you have low sperm count, and you want to increase it, you know, the, the best way to do that initially, at least, is to sleep more, diet, exercise, but to actually see the improvement in sperm count takes months, whereas the change in testosterone happens immediately and you actually use need testosterone to make sperm. So, um, and so that's one example. So that's kind of a classic uh, pivot. You had a technology and a desire to win and one idea, and now you're on to another. So, yeah. which is often the case. We have actually, we actually talk in the fund about how almost never, in fact, maybe never, uh, have we seen a startup uh, succeed on exactly what they said they were going to do? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> when they walked, it's always a change, and the ability of the uh, founding team and uh, the rest of the team to adjust, we think, actually is the big correlative with success. So, uh, where are you now in uh, idea number two in terms of taking it to market? Yeah. So, with idea number two, we've developed the test. Um, 
really we've been working on a new version of our circuit board. We've been working on the mobile application. We've been working on a user-friendly disposable cartridge. Um, but then on top of that, we've also been spending a lot of time working on female fertility hormones. And one of the things that we've been learning by doing this research in testosterone is that, you know, female fertility is becoming an extremely hot, hot topic right now. So in addition to testosterone, we've also developed tests for luteinizing hormone, HCG, estradiol, FSH, and progesterone. And so you should, again, for those who may not have a bio background, you take all those <laughs> things and add them up. And those are all about? All about um, female fertility, um, timing ovulation, um, having a successful conception and pregnancy. And one of the reasons why our team is actually getting even more excited about this idea is that it better leverages the unique advantages of our chip. So our biochip, which is an array of these GMR sensors, actually consists of 80 unique sensors that we can use to identify different hormones at the same time. So by going with something like testosterone, we're really underutilizing the power of the of the product. Right, because you're only looking at one thing as opposed to across an array of things. Exactly, yeah. And again, it may be worthwhile, so biochip, a normal chip that looks at bio things, a chip that is somehow different in that it's, uh, you know, not the standard silicon circuits and things like that or what? So yeah. that folks understand it. Yeah, that's a great question. So it actually, it it is a, a silicon chip. So it's a silicon based technology. And then on the top, the top layer of the chip is actually a silicon oxide layer, which we then functionalize with, with what's called a surface chemistry, which allows us to bind biological proteins to the surface. Um, which our magnetic nanoparticles can then bind to. <laughs> right. So if you sort of flow uh, biological things over the surface of this, some of them will stick, basically. Exactly. And you can tell that they stuck. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, pick up various uh, uh, factors uh, uh, from that. And since it's a chip, this could be small. It could be portable. Stop me if I'm putting words in your mouth. Yes. No, that's 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 exactly what we're doing. Um, yeah. So the new our new circuit board, ah, let's see, we're picking it up tomorrow or the next day actually which is really exciting that's kind of cool like <laughs> yeah. going to the hospital and picking up the baby yeah, yeah exactly exactly here, we've so. been working on this new circuit board uh for quite a while now actually it took it took a lot longer than i expected but um uh, like the footprint of our of our main circuit board is probably three inches by four inches maybe even smaller than that yeah. maybe like two and a half by three and a half and how sensitive are these how precise do you think it'll be how teeny tiny are the differences in presence or absence of these uh, hormonal factors. Yeah. So in the lab at Stanford, we've published papers showing that we can detect femtomolar levels of, um, of some biomarkers. Um, but for our applications, we do not need that level of sensitivity. <laughs> femtomolar is, is extremely, extremely small. We're looking more in like the, the nanomolar or picomolar range. Yeah. So um, perfect universe, there never is a perfect universe, but if things go the way you would like them to go, when do you get this to market? And you can just take this straight to market too, right? Because you're just testing externally, you're not inside the body, and so you don't have to wait umpty ump years and spend a lot of our and other investors' money <laughs> yeah. to get there, right? Right, right. So for the general wellness product where we're measuring, you know, like testosterone, um, that we could probably get out, we can get out really quickly. So when we have the new circuit board, we just basically got to put it in a shell. Um, and then we're thinking of doing like a crowdfunding campaign. 
Um, we also would like to do some studies where we actually make some of these correlations. So get, you know, men who are trying to improve sperm count, men who are trying to lose weight, men who have low testosterone, who want to naturally improve it, um, you know, have them use our product for two or three months, see what the results are and, and actually show that we can make these correlations between testosterone and sleep and diet and sexual activity. Um, and then kind of with that information, then we would like to do like a, something like a crowdfunding campaign to get some pre-orders and then go raise a Series A um, with those pre-orders. And then move on to the and larger, then, more complicated. Yeah, and then go for the big fish. Like, yeah. You know, one of the things that struck me when we met the first time was uh, because your background is as a scientist, you're pretty much as pure a scientist as can be a postdoc and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, well, actually, I, I only have a bachelor's degree. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I have a lot of experience working in the lab. I've been working in in the lab um, do, doing, you know, amino assays for like six years, six yeah. or seven years. So it's like okay. I have I think I actually have more experience than like a Ph.D. would have. I find that things in industry move fast. So you're working in all these Stanford labs and stuff. So I just assumed you're a postdoc. So how do you get work in a Stanford lab if you're not a postdoc? Because they've got a conga line. Yeah. Postdoc trying to get that work. Well, so it's actually a pretty funny story. It's a long story, but I'm going to keep it short. <laughs> so I took my professor's class when I was a senior at Stanford. He taught a class called nanomedicine and biochips. And a lot of what he was teaching about was exactly this technology that he was researching in his lab. Um, and I took that class because I had a job lined up at Theranos and I thought that I was going to go work for Theranos and it was going to be this revolutionary biochip technology. And I wanted to be, you know, ahead of the curve when I got there as, you know, compared to my peers. Um, but I got there and that um, it was nothing what I had expected. You know, pretty much everything Theranos had, I had already seen before. You could pretty much see in any any college or even high school laboratory, to be honest. Um, so I was really unimpressed. And I went back to my professor at Stanford and I said, you know, I really am passionate about this idea of improving diagnostics, about giving more information to patients. Um, can I come work in your lab? And he said, well, you know, you're at Theranos and Theranos is this amazing up and coming company. You got to go give it another shot. Yeah. So he told me to go back to Theranos and stay there for a full year before I made a decision about leaving. So I went back and I kind of gave it another shot and I quickly realized there's no way I was going to stay there. So I quit and I went back to him and I said, well, I, I tried, but it really wasn't the place for me. So I already resigned. Um, will you let me come work in your lab now? And he said, yeah, sure. You know, you can uh, apply to a Ph.D. program. And I said, no, I really I don't want to do a Ph.D. I just want to get in your lab and do the research. Um, I don't want to take classes. I don't want to write a thesis. I don't want to take quals. I just want to work on this product, work on this device. And he said, okay, that's, um, that's never happened. It's kind of a strange situation, but yeah, sure. <laughs> so I went and I just joined his lab. <laughs> it's great that you had uh, his support. Oh yeah, definitely. And um, when I originally joined the lab, I was working on a cancer related project. And then that project wrapped up and he said, is there anything you want to try? He just opened it up to me. He didn't say, oh, do, go do this, go do this. He said, what do you want to do? And I said, I have so many ideas. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and that's when we started working on um, small molecules. And at the time, we had never used this platform to measure small molecule analytes. And I thought that you know these sensors were so good at measuring really small amounts of big proteins. I wonder if we can measure really small 
biomarkers like testosterone um, or THC. And that's when we, we picked the THC idea. So I, I just wanted to prove that this technology would work with small molecule analytes and we picked THC and then it kind of snowballed from there. You know, we published a paper showing that we could um, measure THC in saliva and that got picked up by all kinds of news outlets. We had, you know, Fox come in, you know, NBC, CCTV, BBC, you know, all the C's come, coming in and doing interviews and doing a little news story on our on our device. And then around that same time, we started a collaboration with a company called Cloud Diagnostics, and they were working on the Tricorder XPRIZE competition where Qualcomm had essentially partnered with XPRIZE. They put up $10 million in prize money. Um, and what they were hoping was that some company would be able to create a device that weighed less than five pounds that could identify 13 different diseases. Um, so it's a tall order. And these diseases range from like ear infection to HIV. <laughs> so it's so a huge, huge range. Um, and so cloud diagnostics found out about us and they asked if we would do some of their like liquid based tests. So we joined them and we developed tests for HIV, anemia, mono and leukocytosis. And um, we ended up winning what they called the bold epic innovator award in that competition. And that came with a little bit of money and we had some momentum and that's when we I, I really focused on trying to start a company i thought this is this is something real this has been in the lab for a long time we've proven it with a number of different applications now we just have to find the right fit for it to succeed and that's when we started researching the thc and testosterone and fertility and then got, the show, on the got road, the show on the road yeah now now we have a little lab space in San Francisco and a little office space and some people working on it. You know, it's like I don't have to do all the software. I don't have to work on the circuit board. I <laughs> got an electrical engineer to work on the circuit board, got a designer to work on the app. You know, it's great. Yeah, I noticed there was a, there's an actual team now. When we first met you, it was basically you and the professor. And that yeah. was it. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned Theranos. Um, right. You brought it up, so uh, now, <laughs> now I can ask questions about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, and you didn't just go to work for Theranos and then get disillusioned and leave. Uh, you you gained, whether it was something you uh, sought or not, a fair amount of notoriety for being the guy that brought down the temple, the one uh, who uh, uh, blew the whistle, the uh, you know whistleblower entrepreneur Tyler Schultz, the man who brought down Theranos. So. Uh, a couple of questions on that. One is, having gone through an experience like that, and we've talked about it, it was traumatic on a lot of levels. Yeah. Science levels, business levels, family levels, because your grandfather was on the board and all this kind of stuff. So having gone through this trauma, why do it again? I mean, why not just take a nice, safe lab job, <laughs> get your PhD, gut tenure, have a nice life and and not go through this all over again? Well, hopefully I'm not going through that same experience. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, one would hope. Yeah, I pray that doesn't yeah. happen. But you know what I mean, the yeah. startup stress and all that. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, so I think I, I actually really fell in love with Elizabeth's vision. It, I mean, I she completely sold me on it, and I'm still completely sold on it. I think you weren't the only one. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I was. Yeah, um, and so I think, I mean, there were there were tons of things that were wrong with Theranos, but I think it's important that we actually do work to preserve the vision, 
And that's kind of what I'm doing with this new company is I'm still working towards those same goals, but I'm doing it in a completely different way. So for starters, Elizabeth supposedly pulled this technology out of thin air after she had already left Stanford. Um, you can find publications from my professor about this technology going back 15 years. <laughs> so you're talking about grounded science. Yes. <laughs> you know, the tree can soar into the sky, but it still needs roots. Exactly. Wow. That's yeah. Well said. Um, well, there's a giant Norfolk Island pine outside. I'm looking at that. Yeah. yeah. The biggest thing in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this technology has, has very deep roots. Um, and then Theranos was going for an astronomically huge, vision in just a single step you know they were saying we can offer anything that a central laboratory can offer in this one little box and that was the first product right. <laughs> um what we're doing is taking baby steps we're we're gonna find you know um we're gonna work on testosterone and we're gonna get that to work and then we're going to work on luteinizing hormone and we're going to get that to work and we're going to find specific markets where our technology can make a difference and we're going to attack those markets one at a time rather than saying we can do all of them at once that just makes so much sense and and our experience is folks that have been doing this for a long time is that's actually where success comes from we often say i mean we were involved in google at the very beginning microsoft at the very beginning these companies that were enormous but the complexity that exists today, the complexity that came to exist in those companies when they went public, the complexity that's in Netflix now being a movie studio, a TV uh, distribution, all of that uh, wasn't there at the beginning. Right. At the beginning of companies that become great, we found is extreme clarity. Let's do one thing really, really obsessively well. Let's make sure there's a market for it. Let's prove that market. Let's earn our uh, success, celebrate it briefly, and then move on. Right. And the complexity comes from uh, interacting with the market and other people in, in more and more different ways over time. But as you say, I, I don't think I've ever seen one that said they were going to boil the ocean, that said they were going <laughs> to capture the moon, that actually that actually did. did. Wow. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm trying to think maybe maybe like SpaceX. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But uh, again, there uh, he's doing one thing, get a rocket up, get yeah, it back in one true. piece. That's I mean, true. it's, it's, it's got a lot of moving parts. It's yeah. not a simple thing. But he's trying to do one thing, get a rocket up, get it back in one piece. And uh, if he can establish that that's possible then that makes other things possible. Well, then you can send up certain kinds of payloads. You can bring other things down. You can start to imagine a cyclicality right. in going to space and coming back. And then you could start to, well, could there be people? Could there be mail? Could, right, yeah. could you have a factory up there and you take raw material up? And uh, uh, But that will come over time. I think if he said at the same time, I'm going to get a rocket up, get it back, and the rocket's going to go to a factory, and the factory's going to do this, and the factory's going to be better because there's no gravity. Yeah. Everything's and then they're going to tunnel around. to the other side of the moon. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. And, and we're going to have a resort, and you know, um, it's just too much. Right. You can't know that much about life and the world because it's just too chaotic to say you can figure it all out in one fell swoop. Right, right. And yet, when she said that, everybody believed everyone her. Everyone believed her, yeah. And it's amazing the lack of due diligence that was done. You know, pretty much whenever 
someone asked, can I see it? Or how, how are you doing this? She would say, oh, it's protected by trade secrets. Can't tell you. Well, it's uh, not to say anything legal or not legal, but you know, when one talks about a con game, the point of a con game isn't uh, the other person's confidence, it's my confidence. It's, it's I impart my confidence to you. Because if I do that in an extreme way, you will never even think you need to because I'm so confident it must be true. Yeah, This has to be true. It's obvious on the face of it, given the way you're acting and, and everything else. And uh, whenever someone in those circumstances, watch the sting, just ask an obvious question, wait, what? The whole thing comes apart because that's the point. You're supposed to be, uh, I think, accepting of so high a level of confidence from the other person that you just go along. There's this... Uh, 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 a documentary out now about the festival. Oh yeah, that, fire. You know, fire festival. And it's the same kind of thing. It The vision was incredible. Yeah. And the referral, yeah, everything looks like it's totally screwed up, but that's what Woodstock looked like four days before <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. And, 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 you know, nobody ever said, wait, what? That was 50 years ago. It has nothing to do with this. And, and what do we see right in front of us now yeah. uh, until there were literally people standing on a beach with no place to stay, <laughs> no nothing water. to eat, no water, <laughs> cold wind. Uh, and even then some folks were still trying to pull it out. Yeah. It's funny. I, I watched that and I actually saw a lot of parallels between the fire festival and, and Theranos. Yeah. I sort of thought you might. <laughs> even down, it's funny. Um, Billy, I forget his last name was also represented by David Boyce, who huh. is Elizabeth's lawyer or okay. was Elizabeth's lawyer. So huh. <laughs> interesting. Uh, uh, I'm not sure that's the greatest reputation. <laughs> no, I don't think so. One of this guy will believe anybody. But um, uh, so um, you've referred to it a little, but just to get Theranos out of the way. So as a CEO of your own company now, yeah. Uh, apart from grounded science, are there other things you learned from Theranos about the way you want to run a company, run a team, move a company forward that? Uh, you've kind of taken to heart or would share with others who are thinking about starting their own company? Yeah, absolutely. So Theranos was run on a culture of fear. And that is, I don't think that is a recipe for success. You know, everyone, everyone who was working with the devices saw that they weren't working. Very, very few people actually vocalized so. And as a CEO, I would never, ever, ever want that to be the case. You know, the second something is wrong, you want to know about it so that you can fix it. Um, but yeah, that was definitely not the case. People would would try to hide errors. They would hide when quality controls failed. Um, yeah, people when, would definitely not speak up to their managers about things failing. Or they would expect their managers to speak up to, you know, Sonny, the president or vice president or to Elizabeth. But... I don't even think many of the managers were willing to do that. Um. It compounds. It's it's like uh, a uh, uh, non-functional family right. in that sense where everybody knows dad's crazy, but dad's crazy. And, <laughs> and nobody wants to say so because if you contemplate what happens if dad's crazy, it's scary. It, it could be awful. And... Uh, uh, yeah, and we see in startups, uh, our companies, a very direct correlation between joy and success. The hmm. the teams that love one another and love what they're doing can't wait to get up, get yeah. together and do their thing every day 
are the ones that do better. It's it's not at all what some of these myths uh, uh, show about you know high flying, high risk, wild and crazy. Uh, our successful um, uh, entrepreneurs don't look like that at all. They just want to do great work, and and uh, they want to do it with great people who want to do it with them. And the success is a pure result of that joy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's, if I had anything to say to entrepreneurs, it's. Yeah, I, I totally resonate with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I was working on this technology for about three years before I started receiving a paycheck to do so. And it's because there's like the, to me, it's like magic. When I add the magnetic nanoparticles to the chip and I see the signals rise and the standard deviations are so low, every time it's just like, wow, I cannot believe this is happening. This is incredible. There's this magnetic nanoparticle binds to the surface of a trip that transduces this biological signal into an electrical resistance that we can then read out in this tiny little circuit board that is sent to my iPhone. <laughs> like what a crazy world. This is it amazing. Is, <laughs> I mean, and and you're saying that, but just to uh, again say for those who may not do this all day every day, that means that you can stand there with your iPhone and basically look inside somebody's body, yeah, and tell what's going on, yeah, and tell learn if they're from ovulating it. or yeah, <laughs> like if they yeah, exactly yeah. it and uh, things that used to only exist in hospitals or required you to walk inside machines that cost millions of dollars. There it is right now in your pocket, potentially, where yeah. uh, you guys want a baby. Well, guess what? The phone says, now's the time. <laughs> yeah. And and those are real, real things. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It is. Um, but back briefly back to the culture. I think that I think that Elizabeth was trying to emulate what the culture at Apple was or is. Um, and I never worked at Apple, so I don't I don't really know. But I'm wondering if, if you had any insights on what the culture of Apple was. You know, I've never worked at Apple either, though I did know Jobs, and because okay. uh, uh, we were all in the early days of the PC revolution together. And I think, uh, you know, the challenge with metaphor is that it's quite specific and often gets applied generally. So this is like that, but no, it's really not. Okay. And that was then, and this is now. And certainly, uh, Jobs was a curious mix of genius and. Uh, semi-human functionality in that sense. But um, under certain circumstances, it could be great. People forget that the guy got cashiered out of the company because yeah, he couldn't true, yeah. run it. He sort of ran it. The uh, original idea, thinking the unthinkable, but remember he had a partner who's Mr. Prosaic, right? Wozniak, mm -hmm. do the work, just make it work. So if he hadn't had Wozniak, he'd have said the same things, but probably <laughs> wouldn't have been able to do them. But having gotten them done in the early days and uh, created a lot of motion, he wasn't able to sustain it. But uh, And the company almost went out of business. And if it hadn't been for the fact that the company almost went out of business and they were desperate and no one wanted the job, he never would have been back at Apple to get a chance to create uh, the iPhone and, and all of this current wave of success. So um, if someone wanted to create predictable, stable, uh, solid, uh, understandable success. Jobs is not the model you would follow. Maybe Gates, who picked good mentors, uh, was always on top of the details of his uh, business, and uh, then went on to help the world in enormous ways by repurposing his wealth for good. Yeah, go for that one. <laughs> yeah. um, and 
because if if you go for uh, uh, the Jobsian approach, and it turns out you aren't as incandescent a genius as you thought you were, you got nothing. Yeah. You got you just goes down to zero right away because the structures and the belief and everything isn't uh, there. And you're seeing Apple struggle with the fact that now they have to recreate themselves as a rational company, not as a company that gets value from occasional extraordinary injections of unexpected brilliance. Uh, it's hard to get through the day um, if every day is a lightning storm. <laughs> and it takes more than a black turtleneck, it turns out. It takes more. <laughs> it takes more than a black turtleneck and skinny jeans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we could go on like this for hours. Uh, it, fascinating to talk to you. I can't wait to see the next wave of uh, little teeny tiny particles that can pick up what's in your body. Yeah. Um, we think something extraordinary is going to come out of your work in, uh, you. uh, and you're going about it in just the right way. So thanks for taking our money and <laughs> thank <laughs> you. thanks for being here and uh, uh, can't wait to see the next chapter. Yeah, me neither.